So we're here at the Byron Writers Festival with author and scientist Saul Griffith. Saul is the founder and chief scientist of Think Tank and innovation company Other Lab and the author of The Big Switch, Australia's Electric Future. He also appeared at a panel at the uni this week on radical futures. Saul, thanks for joining me on the uh, Southern Cross Uni podcast. Much thanks, appreciated. Thanks for inviting me into your electric uh, Volkswagen bus. <laughs> uh, I was going to start with a different question, but... Um, I'm going to ask, are you a fucking optimist? Uh, uh, I know why you inserted the central word to that <laughs> sentence. Uh, I think I'm angry and uh, a very curious kind of optimist. Like, we're past optimism, actually. It's not enough. Um, but it's absolutely necessary and required on climate, on hitting our climate targets. And so, yeah, I'm an optimist in the Churchill sense that we have to, from here to the end of the, from here to zero emissions, we have to fight them on the beaches, we have to fight them in the air, we've got to fight them, you know, everywhere. And so it's like, my optimism is like a rallying wartime kind of optimism. <laughs> so the festival's theme this year is Radical Hope. What does that mean to you? Uh, you're making me think too hard. The apologies. The panel I was just on was about radical hope, and actually, what I really enjoyed about it. So maybe this is what the intent of the um, the festival is: is that we are actually deeply at a radical moment in human history where we have to rethink nearly all of the canons of the 20th century. We've got to rethink our economics. We've got to rethink our energy systems. We've got to rethink community, finance, and, you know, rethinking some th things that are that deep and fundamental, that's pretty radical. So it's like we've got to have some pretty radical ideas about all of the, all of the above there. And uh, that's what I think the radical in Radical Hope for me is like just how much we have to challenge existing orthodoxies to, to get to the finish line. So orthodoxy is not orthodoxy is not a word sorry everyone orthodoxy <laughs> so to that end um, how likely do you think it is that we will get to 100% renewable power for our electricity that is inevitable so that and the only question is will we do it in time for a climate we want to live in so first the easy answer is absolutely we'll get there second answer but, you know maybe we'll add some nuclear but to me they're that, that's fine I'm an engineer the real question is can we do it with the urgency required to get to stay under two degrees and close to one and a half and, and that's the that's the 800 pound gorilla question so you're an engineer as you just said um, how has that affected how you write and what you write about uh, in a sneaky way actually the books I'm writing are policy pieces so I understand deeply as an engineer at this point in history that most things that you engineer face some kind of regulatory hurdle from a world where the regulations were written for fossil fuels and if you don't even the playing field quickly in the policy and the regulatory sense um, 
we don't get to bring the machines that are a solution into, into a fair marketplace fast enough to solve the problem. Electrifying your brain. What do you mean by that? Oh, I don't know. Your brain's already electric. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of amazing to think about it, but like your, your brain is electrical signals through a biological computer. It's like wildly cool. Um, maybe what I meant by electrifying your brain was we... You know, if we want to have a society that looks a little bit like we do, people should probably question that. But if we want to have a society with homes that look like the houses we live in, with cars that look like the cars we drive, with those modern trappings, really the great majority of the answer is by electrifying all of those things. Electrifying your kitchen, your hot water heater, electrifying your, your rooftop with solar batteries, electrifying cars. And so maybe I meant by electrifying your brain. Get your brain in the mindset that you can never buy a machine that burns fossil fuels ever again. So if you've got a 15-year-old Corolla, by all means, drive it for four more years. But when you sell that or it just does its final kilometre, the next thing you buy is an electric Nissan Leaf. Right? Just electrifying your brain should mean we all get into a mindset of, of the machines in our lives that hopefully we have a dispassionate relationship with do you really care whether your water heater runs on electricity or gas? No, you care about the hot shower. <laughs> Get in the mindset of just electrifying all the things and powering it with renewables. Fantastic. Um, you said you're a champion of STEAM with the A being for art. How important is art to science and technology, do you think? Oh, I think we need to make that tent even bigger. Where do I put the H? Mm. <laughs> uh, history. Like, I think if we... I spell a strange word. <laughs> Don't try it Theme, today. Themes. <laughs> Technology, Steams. history, history, engineering, uh, math and science. Steam or themes. Uh, if we are developing, developing technology and we're doing the engineering and doing the science without acknowledging history and the context of all of our machines and technology and history and without bringing an art and a soul to it so that people want to live in those things and the design is good, like, we won't get to a finish line we want to get to. So I, I think it's... Um, I love engineers. I grew up with engineers. I am capital letter S-T-E-M. But I absolutely, at this point in my life, know that we have to have H&A, history and art, um, on an equal footing and all of those things done in the context of history and art. We're in a region that's recently suffered uh, the brutal effects of climate change, um, obviously some significant floods earlier in the year. How urgent is the need to make a big switch to clean energy? The urgency is measured by what climate outcome you want. So we're at one and a bit degrees and you're having you know, horrific climate-induced events in this region. And we had horrific climate events a few years ago with the bushfires. It's happening all over the world. Um, if you think one and a half is the right target to, to stop at, then the urgency is beyond urgent. Um, and, you know... It's a STEM audience, I assume, so I'm, I'm comfortable talking about machines. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think about the machines underneath society as, as our infrastructure. And um, 
if all of our machines that run on fossil fuels, all our cars, all our power plants, if they live until the end of their lives, so if you've got a two-year-old Volvo, it lived until it's 20, the existing machines on the planet will take us to 1.8 degrees. So if you want 1.5, your urgency has to be so urgent that we... It's more urgent. <laughs> stop it all immediately. If your urgency is set by two degrees, then you just need to do nearly perfect execution of making sure we have the supply chains, the systems to rebuild this world all electrically. Um, so I don't know. I think they're the kids are right, and they express it very well. This is a climate emergency because to me, one and a half degrees isn't good enough. We should be aiming to keep it under one. We're already at distressing points. Sorry, kids. It's an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I listened to Jean um, Hinchcliffe yesterday actually say she her part of her hope um, was that well, I have a hangover from talking to her until 2am last <laughs> night trying to understand the mindset of an 18 year old looking at this I just like I was an angry version of her in 19 in the 1990s does she give you hope? Is she is her and I guess her generation giving you some level of hope? I think a huge amount of my hope is in the kids and the climate strike and the climate movement. It really is. I think it's really cruel that the world then said to Greta, "Well, what do you do?" And her response, well, it's not my job. The adults need, I'm identifying the problem. You need mm. to solve it for me. Uh, and I don't mean to criticise Greta or the kids, but I really wish they could elucidate some solutions and shout for what they want. And I think they have to, otherwise it just sounds like they're complaining. Mm. And I know they're not just complaining. I know they feel the urgency. Like, I'd love to build them an allegiance between the kids, broadly defined, and the engineers and the technologists and the civils and public servants that need to rebuild all of our systems so that at the end of all of their protests and sentences and they can say, and therefore we need this to happen and this to happen and they've got to draw the dotted lines and the crumbs for the politicians rather than waiting for the politicians to come up with solutions because the politicians don't have the tools. So we need to build, we need to very quickly go from protest to the weird alliances required to implement the solutions on the time required. And I think you're right. Some of those alliances are not what we would see as traditional. They're and... not obvious. No. I want 17-year-olds to be sitting with the civil engineer for the local council designing how they're going to get that community to zero. And they're I going want... to live it. So. And they're going to live it. And I want them to have a say in the energy infrastructure and climate infrastructure of the future. And so they need to find much... It's a lot to ask, and their voice is loud and clear, but they need it to be louder and even clearer, and they need to get it into the halls of power in a way that's not disabled by the halls of power. So I'm conscious that um, you've had a, a big day already. It's okay. <laughs> so, so I'll put you out of your misery with um, just a, a final little question. Um, you said earlier in the week that you thought the CWA could save the world. What did you mean by that? 
Um, CWA is the Country Women's Association. Uh, I did a book tour around Australia a couple of times. I took my mum, we drove an electric vehicle, Sydney and Adelaide all over the place. And some of the most exciting moments was being in regional country towns, sometimes in the cities, and meeting with, and it was mostly women. And, you know, my first, my on-ramp to this drug was Helen Haynes, who's like the, one of the original community independents, who gave me a tour of all of, and it was mostly women, mostly country women running the community battery project, community solar project, like really digging in and engaging. Yeah. And, you know, it's a metaphor and maybe I will say it in a way that offends some people, but like, I feel like the Country Women's Association broadly defined is the women saying, well, the men are fucked up and their fucking ego is fucking attached to the V8 and they've screwed up. And so we got to fix it, which is always what the country women do. So let's sit down, let's make you come to sandwiches, let's make a fucking plan and then let's like execute and we'll door knock and we'll run the local council and we'll get the job done. And so I actually, I think the most hopeful thing for me <laughs> and an uneasy alliance is the 17 year olds translating their action through <laughs> metaphorically the country women's association who are well, learning to knit. Well, yeah, but they're no, they're no bullshit and they are the original are community and they're centered in their community and they know how to get their communities to build the infrastructure to build a livable world for their families and their children. I think the CWA is more in touch with it's what's going on in our communities. Yeah. So like, the visual. yeah, I don't mind if there's a lot of knitting and a lot of cucumber sandwiches because they know how to get shit done and we need to now get shit done. They know how to get shit done. We need to get shit done. I yeah. think that's where we <laughs> can end it. <laughs> oh, thank thank you. you for your time. No, absolutely. Mm -hmm.